the message. Would you pray with me? Father, uh, we do thank you for this day. God, we thank you for this opportunity to be together. God, I pray now that as we get into your word, God, I pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit, your voice would become so real to us. God, I pray that you would give us eyes to see you and hearts to love you, ears to hear you this morning. Uh, God, I know that uh, more than anything, what we need this morning is not a hundred words from a preacher. We need one single, living, active word from you this morning. And so, God, we ask that you would speak. God, I pray that I would be quiet. I pray that you would be glorified, that your name, the name of all names, would be exalted in this place, God. And I pray that through uh, your power, through your Holy Spirit, through your word this morning, we would all leave here leaning into our faith, leaning in to Jesus, and walking in joyful obedience to him. So, Jesus, it's in your great name that we pray. Amen. Well, hey, we're in this uh, brand new series called Slaying Giants, and uh, over the summer, I read this book uh, by Louis Giglio, who's a pastor in Atlanta, and his book is called Goliath Must Fall, and I thought Goliath Must Fall was such an incredible book. As I read it this summer, I thought, at Redemption Church, we have to do a series uh, that's kind of based on the book or inspired by the book, and so I like the name Slaying Giants just a little bit better, so we called ours Slaying Giants, and we're in just week two of this, and so if you missed last week or if you want to listen again, you can listen online, www.redemption.cc. Or you can even download our app. Redemption Church has an app. You can put it on your phone, and you can stay connected wherever you have internet service, and it's awesome. But last week, we were in 1 Samuel chapter 17, which is the the account of that classic time-told story of David, the little shepherd, the underdog, going up against the colossal giant Goliath. And what we really discovered as we went through 1 Samuel 17 is this idea that every single one of us faces Giants, so we all have things that we come up against in our lives. And the reality is, is that God has given us victory. That you and I are not the giant slayer. The good news is there is a giant slayer in the land, but it's not you and it's not me. His name is Jesus, and he defeats our giants. And because of his victory, it is actually possible for you and for me to experience freedom from the giants that we're facing. Now, you might say, well, hey, I'm not facing a nine-foot, ugly, hairy guy carrying a spear with a tip that weighs 15 pounds. And if you'd say that's not you, I'm glad that's not you this morning. Most of us aren't facing a guy named Goliath from Gad, but we are facing giants. Uh, We face things like fear, anxiety, depression, anger. Uh, We face this kind of defeat in our lives that we think like, hey, these things like addiction that we've been faced with for years, we're never going to get over it. We're never going to actually see victory. It's just something that we're going to be faced with over and over and over again. What I want to talk about today is the giant of fear that we face in our lives because, come on, there are things to be afraid of. Listen, in 1 Samuel 17, the the Israelite army is in the valley of Elah, and the Philistine army is there in the valley too. There's things to be afraid of. 
In fact, if you're not already a little bit afraid of battle, afraid of war, this giant of a man named Goliath comes forward and says, hey, you just send your champion and I'll fight him. If you guys win, then we'll surrender and we'll become your servants. But if we win, then your God isn't really God and you become our servants and your army will join our army. And what the scripture says is for 40 days and for 40 nights, Goliath mocked God and intimidated the people of God. And what I told you last week is what we're going to talk about a little bit today is that the only giant in the land wasn't Goliath. One of the giants that the nation of Israel was facing was the giant of fear. In fact, Samuel tells it this way, 1 Samuel 17, verse 11. He says, when Saul and all Israel heard the words of the Philistine, they were dismayed. They were greatly afraid. I love the way Samuel says it. He said, Saul and all. Like how many people were afraid of Goliath? Everybody. Like everybody was shaking in their boots. Everybody was running away. It was Saul and all. They were all afraid. In fact, he doesn't just tell us about the amount of fear they had once, but he tells us about it again. 1 Samuel 17, 24. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man Goliath, they fled, they fled from him, and they were much afraid. I love the way he says it. Like, how afraid were they? Much afraid. Like, you can't really quantify the amount of fear they faced because there was so much fear. Now, here's the thing, and we all know this. Fear is a natural part of our lives. But we all experience fear because there's things that we should be afraid of. In fact, I went to the authority. Whenever you want to find out some information, I find the best place to go is the Internet, specifically social media. That's a joke, by the way, but I, I did do that. You're like, really? No, uh, just because, you know, I think Abraham Lincoln said it best. If it's on the Internet, it's true. You know, you can think about that. But anyway, I asked people, what's, what's something you're afraid of? Like, just naturally, if it fell in front of you, what's something you're afraid of? And they started kind of typical things like spiders. I get that. Snakes, I get that. Uh, heights, I, I hate heights, not a fan of heights. In fact, uh, Todd got really specific, what I appreciated, that it's not just so much heights, it's trying to come down from heights. And it reminds me of something I know somebody always said, like, hey, it's not the fall that hurts, it's the sudden stop at the end. So you can enjoy the ride until that last minute. I get that. Uh, somebody said home intruders. Makes sense. And then some of the answers got a little bit more serious. They got, they got a little more weighty. People said things like afraid of failure, afraid of becoming completely dependent upon other people. Uh, somebody shot me one in, the, in my inbox, and it said, was afraid that they wouldn't be loved by people, really. Somebody said, uh, something bad happening to their children. People kind of use that one over and over again, bad things happening to children. I get all that. Fear is a natural part of our lives. In fact, there's, there's things that kind of happen that, uh, that you just scare you. Sometimes someone makes a loud noise, or, or something happens, or somebody cuts you off in traffic, and you get that a, a rush of adrenaline, and there's a little bit of fear. And what we know from science is that every single one of us has two natural ways that we respond to fear. There's fight, and there's flight. When you kind of become afraid, or in that moment when something startles you, you either fight it, or you flee from it. Now, for me, I tend to be a little bit more of a fighter. 
And so if you, like, jump out and scare me, you may get a fist. And it's, it's just the way I'm wired. And so when Audrey and I were first married, we didn't have any children yet. We lived in a flat, and, and we, were, we were, like, just into this marriage thing a couple of months. But we, we were, like, in love, and everything was going great. And then one night, uh, we were asleep, and something woke me up from bed. And I, I did what I think most people do is I reached over to make sure Audrey was still in bed, and she was, and there's no one else uh, in the house but us two, and then I, I came down from where I lay in bed is a, a hallway, and I look down the hallway, and in the end of the hallway is another room, and as my eyes are kind of focusing and adjusting to the light, uh, there's a doorway there, and as I'm looking down the hallway, I see a head look out and then go back behind the doorway, and I thought, it's just my eyes. And so I did like kind of what we all do is I like pretended to be asleep, but I'm like staring down the hallway, right? And a few minutes go by, and I thought, okay, it was just my eyes. And then it happened again. The head came out, and it went back behind the doorway, and I thought, someone is in my home. Not, not only is somebody in my home, but my wife is here, and I have to protect her. And then I started to think, I don't know why you would break into my place. Like, we don't have anything to steal. Like, there's nothing of, like, we're, like, newly married. Like, everything we have was given to us, like, secondhand. There's nothing worth stealing here. And so then I'm like, maybe I'll just lay here and, like, they can take it. But then, like, that adrenaline comes in. And so in my room for home protection, I had a little baseball bat. And so I, I saw the, the head again peek out. And this time it stared at me longer. And then it went back. And I thought, okay, whoever's in there knows I'm awake. So I woke up Audrey. I was like, get ready to call 911. And I leapt from the bed, and I grabbed the bat, and just like a screaming banshee flew down the hallway, ready to kill who was ever in that room. It turned out to be a balloon. <laughs> and the heat had turned on. And so when the heat blew, the balloon just kind of tilted and went back. So my wife was safe. I conquered my enemy. And I tried to go back to bed. Now, here's the thing. I, I just want you to know this. I, I am more of a fight than flight. So just for your own knowledge, because we're in a relationship, because we're, we're friends, because we're following Jesus together, if by chance you ever see me running, it's safe to assume that I'm running, some th like I'm running from something terrible, okay? Like if you ever are driving down the road and me, you see me running the other way, don't assume I'm out for like a leisurely jog, Okay? I'm built more like a Mack truck than a race car, okay? If I'm running, assume you should be going the same direction as me, okay? That's just where I'm at. But every single one of us has fear, things that we're afraid of, because here's the thing. There are things to be afraid of. But here's the problem. You and I have an enemy. Uh, the scripture says he's our spiritual enemy. His name's the devil, and that he exists with the sole purpose that he wants to steal from you. He actually wants to kill you, and he actually wants to destroy you. That's the mission that he lives to do, to kill and steal and destroy. And see, what the enemy tries to do in your life is the same thing the enemy tries to do in my life. It was the same thing he was doing in 1 Samuel 17, is he was trying to take the natural reaction of fear and he was trying to rewire people so that fear would become their standard operating procedure. 
Because there's things to be afraid of, but what can happen is, is the enemy tries to say, hey, there's so much to be afraid of that I want you to think about all the things that you have to be afraid of. I want you to consider all the things that could go wrong or might go wrong, all the ways that you might be hurt or could be hurt, all the ways that the, the, the bottom might fall out from underneath you, all the ways you could be rejected, all the ways you could get shut down, all the ways you could possibly struggle. And see, what the enemy tries to do is create a soundtrack of fear and defeat in our lives. Maybe you've heard of it. There's a thing called Murphy's Law. Murphy's Law is a scientific law that says this. It says, whatever can go wrong will go wrong. Which is great to think about if you're planning something. Men, Murphy's Law is great to think about if you're doing a home construction project and you're going to put a ladder on top of a pallet and then you're going to kind of balance with a bucket of paint. You might go, well, there is a law that says I might fall and drop the paint if this isn't safe. But Murphy's Law is not supposed to be the soundtrack of your life or my life. Now this dates me a little bit, but it makes me think about growing up watching The Wizard of Oz, where there's the scene where Dorothy and the Tin Man and the Scarecrow are about to go into the forest And they talk about what might we see in the forest. And they say, well, we might see lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. And it becomes the soundtrack, right? They start walking through the forest. Lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. Lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. That's what the enemy tries to do in your life, in my life. The enemy tries to create a soundtrack that says, listen, you're not strong enough. Something bad is going to happen. You are going to get hurt again. The money is going to run out. People will stop loving you. There's another bad thing waiting right around the corner. Don't trust anyone. Don't love anyone. Don't leave the house. Just be afraid. And see, the enemy tries to create a soundtrack that makes fear the soundtrack of our lives. Now, don't raise your hand. Don't even write it down, because I know you'll think the person next to you is looking. But let me ask you this question. What are you currently afraid of? Like, just put that in your head for a second. Not, not, don't, don't focus on it, but I want you to think about it this morning. What is it that you're currently afraid of? Is it something with a family member? Is it something with your finances? Is there a situation that you could face? Is it something that's waiting for you Monday morning? Maybe it's something that's waiting for you when when you go to head home this morning. What is it that you're currently afraid of? And see, the reason I ask you that question is because I think one of the things we learn from Jesus in the Gospels is that your fear and your faith are directly connected. The thing that you fear in your faith are actually more connected than you think they are. In fact, as I read through the Gospels, as I spend time uh, listening and watching and learning through the Scriptures, what Jesus was trying to teach his disciples in the three years that he spent with them, uh, there seem to be a couple themes that come up over and over and over again. 
And this is one of them. This seems to me like this is one of the lessons that Jesus was trying to get his disciples to learn. Hey, I know there's things to be afraid of, but your life doesn't need to be marked by fear. But rather what Jesus is trying to teach his disciples is because he knows them and because they have a relationship with them, there's actually another option for them. That Jesus teaches them and tries to teach them over and over and over again that, hey, whenever you're afraid, you can fight it, you can flight it, or you can have faith. And Jesus creates a third option and says, listen, hey guys, because you're my followers, because we have a relationship, here's the thing. I want you to choose faith over fear. Hopefully you're still in Matthew chapter 8 because that's where we're going to spend uh, some time this morning. And, and here's kind of the scenario. Jesus has performed some miracles. Uh, Jesus has preached his longest, most well-known sermon. Uh, the disciples are with Jesus. They've seen Jesus do incredible things. They love Jesus. And Matthew tells us this way, that uh, Jesus is wanting to escape the crowds and kind of get away. And so the best way Jesus knows how to do that, he does it all the time in the Gospels, is he gets out on a boat. That's kind of his escape plan to get away with the disciples. So Matthew says, when they got onto the boat, his disciples followed him. Now, if I were taking notes in my Bible, I would underline the word follow. That's significant. The disciples are following Jesus. At Redemption Church, we're all about seeing lives changed by Jesus and disciples made. So when we talk about a disciple, a disciple is someone who knows Jesus and loves Jesus and follows Jesus step after step. And so here's what you see. The disciples are following Jesus. Why are the disciples on the boat? Because Jesus got on the boat. So as they're on the boat, they followed him, and behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he, being Jesus, was asleep. There's a furious storm. The, the, the winds are raging. In fact, the waves are so big that the waves are coming over the side of the boat, and Jesus' disciples are afraid. They say they look over at Jesus, and he's on the boat, and Jesus is asleep. And you might go, why is that important? Because for some of you, you've gone through tragedy in your life. You've gone through loss and difficulty and hardship. And the reality is, is you cried out to God. You prayed to God. You begged God too. You even tried to make a deal. Hey God, if you, then I will. But part of your story is, is you felt like God didn't respond the way you thought he did. In fact, you've struggled with your faith because if you were totally honest, you'd say, in that moment when I needed God the most, it felt like he was absent, non-responsive, did not care, or at least he must have been asleep because God did not show up the way I thought he would in my situation. And if that at all strikes a chord with your heart and your situation, I want you to lean in for a moment this morning because here's what I want you to know. If you've ever felt like God didn't care, he didn't respond, he wasn't aware to your situation, or at best he must have been to sleep, here's what I want you to know. You are in good company. Because the guys who left everything, 
left their families, left their businesses, the guys who sacrificed everything to follow Jesus, the guys that knew Jesus best felt the exact same way that you felt. In fact, the reason I ask you to lean in this morning is because you might have more in common with the very first followers of Jesus than you imagine that you do. Because you felt, and maybe you feel that way right now, you feel exactly how they felt in this moment. They were afraid. They thought their lives were falling apart. They thought they were doomed. And what they knew is that if Jesus would get involved in their situation, it would change everything. And when they look at Jesus and take roll call, okay, Peter's still here. James is still here. John's still here. Okay, no one's falling on the boat. Where's Jesus? He's asleep. Non-responsive. Catching some Z's. And like, let's just give the disciples a little bit of credit for a moment. Because four of the disciples are professional fishermen. So like, listen, if Peter and Andrew and James and John, who are all professional fishermen, if these guys are on a boat and in a storm are freaking out, you can assume it's because they know a couple things about being on a boat in the middle of a storm. So they're on a boat, the waves are swamping the boat, they're, they're worried for their lives, and Jesus is asleep, and here's their thought, we are going to die. And isn't it true that everything we're afraid of, ultimately we're afraid of it because we think it'll kill us? Like the reason we're afraid of spiders is because we think a, the spider is going to bite us and it's going to kill us. Like the reason we're afraid of snakes is because we think the snake is going to get to us and bite us and it's going to kill us. Like the, the reason we're afraid of heights is because like that sudden stop at the end might kill us. That's right. And the reality is, is the things that we're afraid of, we're afraid of because we think, I don't know if I could go through that. I don't know if I would survive that. That might kill me. And that's exactly what the disciples thought. Matthew 8, 25. So they woke up Jesus and they said to him, I love this, save us, Lord, we are perishing. Like, have you ever had a friend that did this? Like, I am so hungry, I'm starving to death. I think you're going to make it, bro. I think you're going to make the drive to McDonald's. I'm so bored, it's going to kill me. Like, no, you're going to make it. That's the disciples. They're like, Jesus, wake up. We are literally dying. No, you're, you're okay. Like, you're, you're going to make it. Here's, here's the problem. It's the same problem we have. When we're afraid... We usually write the end of the story. And what happens is we kind of make a prediction based on our intellect and our experience, and we, we kind of use a little bit of common sense. And so, so this is what they've done. The disciples go, in a boat, Jesus is sleeping, storm coming, waves coming over the side. You know where this leads? This is a titanic moment. The ship's going to sink. We're all going to drown. If there was a girl named Rose, she's not going to share the door with us. We're all dead. So they write the end of the story, and not only do they write the end of the story, they begin to put their faith in the story that they've written. See, the, the, reason, the reason that faith and fear are connected is because fear is faith in the enemy's power and plans. When our lives are marked by fear, it takes faith. 
It just means that we believe the enemy will always get the best, that he will defeat us, that it'll always go the way our enemy wants us to go. That's fear. And the disciples had predicted the end of the story, and they'd written the end of the story, and then they begin to put their faith in the story, and I love it. They wake up, Jesus, Jesus, we're dying. Matthew 8, 26, and he said to them, why are you afraid? Now, there's a few ways to read this, and I'll just tell you the way I read it, and if we disagree, that's fine, because this isn't a big disagreement, but here's the way I read this. You could either read this and put the emphasis on the word afraid. Why are you afraid? That's not how I read it. I think when Jesus said it, he put the emphasis on the word you. But why are you afraid? He looks at Andrew and Peter. Why are you afraid? James and John, why are you afraid? And before Peter can open his mouth and say something, which is the habit of Peter, Jesus answers the question for him and says, Oh, you of little faith. Now, Jesus isn't reprimanding them. I think Jesus is trying to teach them. He's saying, listen, yeah, there's things to be afraid of. We're in a boat in the middle of a storm in the sea. There's waves coming over. Of course there's the things to be afraid of. But Jesus says, guys, why are you afraid? And I think what Jesus is speaking to is their identity. He's like, hey, don't you know who I am? Like, don't you know that I am the Messiah? Like, don't you believe I'm the Son of God and I'm with you? Like, don't you believe that we have a relationship that we, we, I'm with you. Don't you think I know you? Don't you think I'm aware of your situation? I mean, do you remember the miracles that just happened before we got on the boat? Have you forgotten all that? I mean, I, guys, I get that there's things to be afraid of, but why are you afraid? I think what Jesus is trying to teach them is that there's another option for people who have a relationship with Jesus, that we don't have to be marked by fear, but rather our lives can be marked by faith. It means that the antidote to fear is not more courage. Like Jesus didn't tell them, hey, you just need to be braver. You just need to pull up your bootstraps and you just need to hold on. Guys, you just need to be braver. That's not what he said. It means that the antidote to our fear is faith in the Almighty God. And that's what Jesus calls him out and goes, hey, I, I get it, but why are you afraid? See, there's Murphy's Law, and then Louis Giglio in his book introduced you into something called the Shepherd's Law. And as Christ followers, that we can put our faith in the shepherd, and because Jesus is the good shepherd, there's things that we can trust, and one of them is the Shepherd's Law, that if something goes wrong, Jesus, who is my shepherd, will still be with me and circumvent whatever went wrong for my good and for his glory. It says, if something goes wrong, Jesus, who is my shepherd, will still be with me and circumvent whatever went wrong for my good and his glory. Listen, if Jesus is in your boat and you're in the middle of a storm, if Jesus is calm, you can be calm. Because he is the good shepherd. Because he is the Messiah. 
because he still has the whole world in his hands. But listen, if you're on the boat and things are getting crazy and you see Jesus reach for his life jacket, he starts kung fu grip, white knuckle grip on the side of the boat, then maybe you should be afraid too. But if Jesus is calm, then you can be calm. And by the way, Jesus never freaks out. And Jesus looks at him and says, guys, why are you so afraid? Oh, you a little faith. And I love the way that Matthew says it, verse 26. Then he rose and he rebuked the winds in the sea and there was a great calm. It's like Jesus stands up in the boat and he's like, all right, enough. Enough wind, enough storm, enough like rain, enough waves. End it. And everything just gets calm. In fact, Matthew says it was a great calm. And at the word of Jesus, everything in the boat shifted. It says, and then the men marveled, saying, what sort of man is this that even the winds in the sea obey him? There's two things that happen in the boat that are significant. The first one is, is the disciples experienced a shift in focus. See, they were first focused on the wind and the waves and the sea and the storm. And then they were focused on Jesus being asleep. But when Jesus stood up and rebuked the wind and rebuked the waves, all of a sudden their eyes went from the sea and the waves and the storm to Jesus. And not only did what they looked at change, what they worshipped changed because they went from saying, hey, the storm was big and the waves were big and the wind was mighty. Their worship changed to say, Jesus is big, Jesus is mighty. Even the wind and the waves respond to him. Their eyes changed and their worship changed. And friends, when it comes to our fear, here's what you have to know. Jesus changes everything. Jesus comes in the flesh, fully God, fully man, lives a holy, godly, perfect life. And even though he's blameless, even though he's tempted but never is, falls into temptation, even though he's tempted, he never sins, even though he's persecuted and imposed, he always remains faithful, holy, true, and perfect. And then he dies in our place for our sin on the cross, absorbing the wrath of God that you and I deserve, paying the penalty for our sin that we could never pay, achieving victory, conquering Satan, sin, and death so that we might be fully loved, fully accepted, sons and daughters of God. It changes everything. Christianity is not, hey, I get saved by Jesus, and now I sit around like just humming some, some hymns, waiting for the day that I'll see Jesus in heaven. The, the being saved by Jesus changes today. It changes our eternity. But Jesus says that he wants to give us salvation and freedom and purpose and mission and identity and family that affects today and tomorrow until we see him face to face in heaven. And one of the things that Jesus wants to change in your life, in my life, is that our lives would not be marked by fear but rather they would be marked by faith. And you might say, well, hey, how do you think, why do you think this is such an important lesson that Jesus wants us to know? Well, the first reason is because there's 365 verses in the Bible that say do not fear, which means you could take a verse for every single day of the next year. And go, God, what would you say to me today? He'd be like, well, here's a verse. Do not be afraid. 
Hey, what's the verse for tomorrow? Do not be afraid. What's the verse for the day after that? Do not be afraid. Okay, we get it. In fact, not only are there 365 verses that say do not be afraid, here's another one. Jesus, just a few chapters later, puts the disciples in the exact same situation. I want you to turn your Bible real quick to Matthew chapter 14. We're going to go through this quick, so I want you to see this. But Jesus actually performs a miracle. He feeds 5,000 people. Here's the caveat. Jesus did the miracle through the disciples. So they go, hey, Jesus, someone has to feed all these people. And Jesus says, yeah, you're going to feed them. You're going to perform the miracle, and they get fed. After Jesus uh, has the miracle happen through the disciples, people want Jesus to perform more miracles. People are ready to start like the campaign to make Jesus king over Israel and defeat Rome. And so Jesus, like he usually does, says, hey guys, we're going to get in the boat. So Matthew chapter 14 verse 22 says, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat. You ask the question, why did he have to make them get in the boat? Because in Matthew chapter 8, it wasn't a great experience. Jesus is like, get in the boat. And they're like, yeah, see, that wasn't so awesome last time. Jesus is like, get into the boat. He made them get into the boat. And then he made them go before him to the other side. So they all get into the boat. And Jesus pushes the boat out and says, hey, I'll see you on the other side. So Matthew chapter 8, Jesus is in the boat. Matthew chapter 14, Jesus is not in the boat, but he goes up on the mountain and watches why he prays. And what the scripture says is that after they dismissed the crowd, they got into the boat, and when the evening had came, Jesus was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. So this time it's not a storm, this time it's the headwind, and the disciples are rowing with all their might, with all their strength, they're throwing their back into it, but they can't get the boat to move because the wind is against them. And here's what I want you to know, because I always want to tell you the absolute truth, especially if you're on the, the verge of making a decision of whether or not you're going to follow Christ and put your trust in him. Friends, following Jesus is not all rainbows, unicorns, and pots of gold at the end of rainbows. Those are all myths, by the way. It is incredibly likely that you could do exactly what Jesus told you to do. You could be following Jesus 100% and you could end up in the middle of life rowing against a headwind, beaten by the waves, cold and wet, and it's dark outside. And those disciples were exactly where Jesus wanted them to be. And it says that as Jesus watched the disciples, at the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. Jesus takes the express lane and just walks on the waves to the disciples. This says, but when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, and they said, it's a ghost, and they cried out in fear. Same boat, same lake, similar circumstances. This time, once again, they're afraid. And it says, but immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, fail, you all fail. That's not what he said. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Jesus is telling the guys, hey, hey guys, I'm trying to teach you something here. 
even when there's things to be afraid of. You don't have to be afraid. He's like, come on, say it with me, Peter. Say it with me, James. Say it with me, John. Even though there's things to be afraid of, I don't have to be afraid. See, not being afraid isn't about our courage. It's not about our strength. It's not our, about our ability to adapt or overcome. The reason the disciples didn't have to be afraid is the same reason that us today, that we who have a relationship with Jesus, that we don't have to be afraid. It's because it's about Jesus. The reason the disciples didn't have to be afraid, even though there were things to be afraid of, is because Jesus is with them. Because Jesus knows exactly what they're going through. Because Jesus is either in the boat or watching over the boat. And he knows exactly what's going on. And he promises you that no matter how bad it gets, no matter how bad the storm is, he'll never run from you. He always runs to you and he'll never leave you or forsake you. He promises that he achieved the victory and he gives us the victory and he desires freedom so he gives us only the power that he has. He puts inside of us so we can experience it today and because he is bigger, because he is greater, because every knee will bow and every tongue will confess including the giant you're facing in your life when they kneel before him Jesus says because he's risen, because he's conquered Satan, because he's conquered sin, because he's robbed death of its victory that there's nothing to be afraid of. And that includes you, and that includes me. But what's interesting is, even though that this is something that I think Jesus wanted the disciples to know, they really didn't learn the lesson. In fact, towards the ends of Jesus' life, when he is betrayed and arrested, we see that the disciples live in fear. We see that they ran away, they hid, they lied, and they were terrified. They thought if they come for Jesus, then maybe they'll come for us. If they could kill Jesus, then maybe they'll kill us. If they, if they could do that to Jesus, maybe there are a lot of things we should be afraid of. But then on the third day, Jesus rose from the grave. And the resurrection changed everything. See, for the first followers of Jesus, when they saw Jesus resurrected, conquering Satan's sin and death, when they lost their fear in death, they lost all their fear. Maybe a better way to say it is like this, is when the disciples fixed their eyes on a resurrected Jesus, their mouths become filled with his praise, and all of their fear was replaced with faith. It's not that they didn't have things to be afraid of. It's that they knew, that they knew, that they knew that he had rose from the grave. And there was nothing, absolutely nothing, that had more power than Jesus. See, when your life and my life, when your eternity and my eternity are secure in Christ, fear not becomes a way of life that even though there's things to be afraid of, we don't have to be afraid. Even though there's giants in the land, even though there's things to be afraid of, we put our faith and our trust in Jesus, who is the giant slayer. So how do we begin to conquer 
the giant of fear in our life? Well, I think it's simple. I think we just have to do what the disciples did. The first thing we need to do is we need to shift our focus. We need to stop looking at the size and the strength and the power of our problems. We have to stop looking at the size and the strength and the problem of our giants. And what we need to do is start looking at Jesus. We need to get into the Word and discover who He is and what He's done and what He's like. If you have a small view of the power and the glory and the majesty of Jesus, you need to focus your eyes on Jesus and realize He is greater, He is stronger, He is bigger, and you need to allow the Scripture to speak into your life and grow your faith because faith comes by hearing the Word of God. And then not only do we need to shift our focus, we need to shift our worship. Every single one of us need our own personalized soundtrack of faith that comes from the Word of God. Like if we're going to conquer the enemy's fear track in our lives, then we need to have a soundtrack in our lives that feeds our faith. I told you a minute ago that the fear not verses in Scripture 365 times. But I, I saw this this week, and this blew me away. This was new information for me. Do you know what command is given in Scripture more than any other command? It's the commandment for God's people to sing. It's referenced over 400 times in Scripture that we should sing. It's the most frequently repeated command in all of Scripture. There's 400 references to singing. The longest book in the Bible is the book of Psalms, which is a book of songs. In the New Testament alone, we are commanded directly, not once, but twice, to sing hymns, psalms, and spiritual songs together whenever we meet. That like we, we need a soundtrack of faith. We need worship songs that feed our faith. That whenever a giant enters the land, you need to have a soundtrack that plays louder than the soundtrack of the enemy. Because Paul says in Romans 10, 17, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. That we can actually feed our faith. That we can actually listen to songs based on scripture. We can listen to songs that are scripture. We can sing those songs and it actually builds up our faith. David, when he comes into the valley in 1 Samuel 17, he enters the scene, is like, Papa John's delivery boy. He comes to bring his brother's food. But what we know from Scripture is that David actually came into the valley as a man of valor, a champion fighter, a shepherd who'd fought bears and lions, that he'd been chosen by God to become the next ruler of the nation. He was a man's man, a warrior, but here's what David also was. He was a man of worship. Out of the 150 psalms, he writes 73 of them. This David's out in the field. He's going, how great is my God. Majesty and honor that he just worships. And, and here's, here's what David did. David had to write his own songs. Like you and I can go on iTunes and Spotify and Amazon Music and Pandora. We don't have to write the songs. We can listen to songs. But David's like, no, I have to write my own songs because the songs don't even exist yet. And here's what David says in Psalm 34, verse 4. He says, I sought 
the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fear. David, you guys know what happens when you fix your eyes on the Lord? You know what happens when you fill your mouth with the praise of the Lord? He shows up and he delivers you from fear and instead of fear, you can actually be marked by faith. So friends, let me ask you this question in closing this morning. What would your life look like this week if you took your eyes off of your giant? What would your week look like if you took your eyes off of your problems and you put your eyes on Jesus? And what would your, what would your week look like if you put your eyes on Jesus and filled your mouth with the praise of Jesus? And I think this is what Scripture tells us, is that actually what would happen is that if we focused on Jesus and if we filled our mouths with the praise of Jesus, it would actually conquer the giant of fear. So put it on your calendar. Create the playlist. Buy the CD. Download the new album on iTunes. But this week, put your eyes on Jesus and fill your mouth with his praise. Because after all, there are things to be afraid of. But because of our resurrected Savior, because of Jesus, that, that thing that you're afraid of, Jesus looks at you and says, yeah, yeah, yeah. But why are you afraid? Because we have a God who loves us and promises us that he'll never leave us, he'll never forsake us, and when things do go wrong, he will circumvent those circumstances, and he promises us that he will create them to be situations that exist for our good and for his glory. So friends, may we walk by faith.